Today's guest has some great tactics and strategy on how to use new video and search tactics in PPC. And for one of her clients, she actually made a million dollars in one month with sponsored display ads. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. I've got Destiny on with us, and I'm not even sure if she's a serious seller. Actually, I know what you do, Destiny, but have you ever sold on Amazon yourself? I have not. Amazon advertising is seriously the only thing I know. <laughs> ah, cool, cool. All right. So I want to start off right off the bat with like your best strategy. Let's just say, now, you know what? I'm not going to give you guidelines here. So at the end of the show, I always ask people if you, if you listen to the show for a 30 second tip, but right off the bat, just to get people excited and to show people that, hey, this is somebody who knows what they're doing. What, what's a just great strategy? It doesn't have to be 30 seconds or less, but what's a great PPC strategy that you can share with us so that people can get excited about the rest of this episode? Honestly, I feel like there's so many one-off things out there that one of the best things you can do is test every single ad type. Um, I know people are always weary about jumping on sponsored display or video and search, but get them up and running immediately. You can always lower your budget and lower your bids so that way they're not you know hemorrhaging money. And to collect as much data as possible and then begin to optimize. Staying ahead of the game is really what's going to allow people to win now that's getting so much more competitive or com complex through the Amazon advertising platform. Cool, cool. Love it, love it. Now, let's get just into your personal history because, you know, here's somebody who is not, you know, a seven-figure seller, which is absolutely fine. I personally, I myself was never a seven-figure seller, but the cool thing I love about having so many different guests and such a variety on the show is, is we all start from different backgrounds and different upbringings and different education, and we all somehow end up in the similar Amazon ecosystem, which is where we're all at. And I just think it's really cool to see where people come from. So first of all, where were you born and raised? Yeah, I was born and raised in Bentonville, Arkansas. So the home of Walmart. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, I never would have ever gone to Bentonville, Arkansas. If not in one of my old jobs, I had to visit Walmart headquarters for some presentation. So, okay. So growing up there, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old girl, were you wanting to work at Walmart headquarters or, or what did you, what did you think you would be when you quote unquote grew up? You know, pretty much anyone and everyone in this town has some type of tie to Walmart. Uh, my dad came from a corporate background. You know, my mom always worked in stores growing up, things like that. So I always knew that either the vendor community or, you know, Walmart in itself would have something to do with what I did. And in all honesty, it's how I got into my role with Amazon is uh, there was a lot of agencies jumping on this new Amazon opportunity and trying to take advantage of every single vendor being in our back door. So in some ways, yes. Did I ever think I'd be doing what I am now? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's what, you know, a typical person grows up there thinking, you know, about in that community. But then when you actually graduated high school, did you, did you attend college right away? I did. I went to the university of Arkansas here. I, you know, Razor, Razorback. 
I am, yes. Yes, okay. I, I always try and like test myself to know the college mascots thanks to uh, sports and stuff. But okay, Razorbacks. All right, so as a Razorback, what was your Razorback major there? Uh, general business. Okay, still at that time, were you thinking of getting into the Walmart world or did you have already by that time some other goal? I'm going to be honest, I had no idea really. You know, I kind of hate that mentality about college of trying to come up with something extremely specific because I feel like it never fully applies. Um, I love general knowledge. I love sociology, psychology, the marketing aspects. I think a lot of that can roll over to pretty much anything you do. But I did not know exactly what I was going to do. I actually kind of dove into it through bartending is how I got interested in this community. (laughs) Cool. Cool, cool. So you graduated with a business degree. Did you ever use that degree, like actually in the business world, or did you go into the bartending right after, or what happened there? Yeah, I bartended my way through college. So I was working at a local country club. It's kind of like one of the number one country clubs in Arkansas. And a lot of the Waltons, well, a lot of the family of the Waltons was still there. Um, at the time, some of the like VPs from Walmart, um, some of the e-commerce teams, it was right around the time of like the jet acquisition. So a lot of those teams were actually visiting the country club. And I had the opportunity to kind of be mentored by a lot of the members there, learn how to speak kind of their language and speak well. And through that, I really kind of sparked my interest in entrepreneurship and um, basically, you know, kind of growing as a person on those aspects. So that's kind of what sparked my interest actually. Okay, so now you you never actually became an Amazon seller, but then how did you get into the Amazon kind of space? Like, how, how did you make that jump? You know, so sometimes people come from a background where, hey, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, learn how to do Amazon my own and like, whoa, I, I'm just like crushing it in this aspect. I need to go ahead and, and, and start my own, you know, agency or, or work for another agency because I'm so good at this. But it's not always often where we're an outsider. Like, like I almost consider myself an outsider, but even my, my, myself, I, I still was kind of in the Amazon ecosystem. I didn't sell on Amazon myself, but I worked for a company who was selling on Amazon. So I kind of knew more or less what was going on, but I just taught myself everything. But h- how did that work for you? Yeah, there was a full consulting agency, again, you know, in the backyard of the vendor community. And at the time, they're hiring their first digital marketing intern. Um, I applied and I took that internship and I always laugh because it was kind of back in the OG days of Amazon advertising. So I was self-taught through a lot of Bing Cummings videos and a lot of small accounts. So I think I ended up having, you know, four to five accounts immediately within that first month. They were all spending like 500 to a thousand dollars a month. But between that, um, Bing Cummings, uh, I always say like Mike Zagari and all of them were definitely a part of that. And I basically just dove in and learned as much as possible and was able to do a lot of hands-on testing. And then within my time at that agency, they scaled incredibly quick just due to the connections and the relationships of this area. So by the time I was at the end of that company, um, I was managing a lot of some of the largest consumer brands that we know of on the Amazon platform. Okay, cool, cool. And I think that's important to know because now, you know, you're probably, you know, one of the, I would say, top 10 most sought after speakers or influencers as far as PPC go and in the Amazon ecosystem. And it's not like, you know, you were a six, seven, eight figure seller. It just goes to show that, hey, you know, you don't have to be an Amazon seller or a private label seller to just be able to become an expert in something because, you know, the the education, the, the knowledge, 
is out there. Now, at the same time, you cannot go and teach somebody or run somebody's business if you're not actively, you know, getting in there and knowing what's going on. But working for an agency, I mean, despite you not having your own products, I mean, you can see probably even more than just a person who has their own business and can only see what's going on with their business. But you have a plethora probably of of visibility into what's going on and what's working on Amazon and what's not, right? A hundred percent. I think that synopsis was perfect. Um, for the people who have kind of listened to me, they always know I'm not extremely definitive about certain strategies. And I feel like that's because I've ran kind of the whole funnel. I've worked with the super small private label brands. I've worked with the brands that started in brick and mortar and then transitioned to Amazon. And then I've worked with some of the really big brands that just care about top of the funnel and brand awareness. And being able to see that full scope, if I've learned anything, is there is not one definitive strategy that will work for your brand, your category, and your ASIN 100% of the time. And I think that's kind of the silo that happens when people are kind of their own brand owners. They absolutely understand the cash flow, the inventory, all of the other assets that affect your PPC. But sometimes what gets tricked in their head is, hey, this worked incredibly well for my brand. I'm going to apply it to every single other brand and sell this as a product. When that's not always ideal, I always kind of preach, you can never replicate the results of what happened in one instance in another instance on Amazon. There's so many different variables that affect the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now let's get into the uh, strategy because we kind of have your, your history of how you came into the game. And, and now, you know, for those who don't know what you do do is mainly, you know, helping people, you know, with their Amazon advertising. So I want to kind of like take a two pronged approach at this and and do both ends of the spectrum like let's let's talk about some beginner strategy and then maybe later on let's talk about some advanced you know next level strategy so basically let's say we've got a brand new seller all right and they they just launched their first product from day 1 what do you recommend as far as how they should attack and structure their their PPC campaigns yeah. So one of the biggest tips I can give is, you know, have a really clean naming structure from the beginning and understand how to kind of work backwards when it comes to budgeting and bids. Start with the really, really simple basics and then work your way up and scale as you collect data. So if I'm a brand new seller, I have, you know, one ASIN, Let's start a campaign and let's separate out by like, you know, just exact match. And let's start really small with the amount of keywords we're targeting. So as an example, I always say if you're only wanting to spend $10 a day, you shouldn't upload a list of 100 keywords because you're not going to be able to collect data across any keyword. It's going to be spread across, you know, a certain amount of keywords. So kind of work backwards on how much you have to spend Look at what your suggested bids are to see kind of how competitive your category is. If it's suggesting you need to spend $3 on a click, you're probably not going to be very profitable from the beginning. So maybe you should focus on some of the long tail keywords that you can do. Dive into a lot of your keyword research for that. Um, another thing to throw out there is, you know, sponsored products is typically where we see you're going to drive the bulk of your advertising sales. So start with sponsored products. I typically re recommend starting with a manual campaign on a launch so that way you can precisely know what you're targeting and then start with exact match. So again, you can see exactly what keywords you're targeting and then start with really low bids and work your way up as you collect data. Now, if you set aside a certain set of money just specifically for a PPC launch, um, you can be a little bit more aggressive with your bidding strategy knowing that you're attempting to rank. 
But in general, work backwards with the amount of budget you have to figure out how many keywords you can afford to bid on and to collect data against. Cool. Now, let's say somebody follows that exact guideline that they got their stuff set up, but what what are some of your benchmarks as far as when you decide to to do things? Like for example, I mean, I imagine at launch you probably know your A costs is not going to be you know, very good because your conversion rate might not be that great due to having no reviews or very few reviews. So like, do you kind of like bank on having your ACOS kind of high, you know, in the beginning, and then you have a different set of rules on how you look at your PPC after you have X number of reviews or, or, or how do you kind of put that in stages? A hundred percent. The ACOS is definitely, definitely going to fluctuate and hopefully improve as you get, you know, more reviews and you're able to optimize. So don't go into it expecting to be ridiculously profitable from the beginning. Understand at its foundation, Amazon advertising isn't going to make your product great, but it is going to drive traffic to your product. So utilize it as a true marketing expense. Now, in terms of some of the benchmarks we look for, one of the biggest one is truly, you know, just number of clicks we've received and orders. Um, a lot of people try to dive into impressions and things like that. And those are all fantastic when you get to that high level of data analysis. But at its core, we need to be concerned if whether or not people are seeing and clicking on our ad and whether or not they are converting. Now, again, with a small budget and a brand new launch, people often get stressed out when they get eight clicks in no order, and they'll kind of stress out and pause that keyword. We always recommend, you know, not making adjustments till we get at least eight clicks and then just lowering your bid. Your bid is the number one lever you can pull to optimize any campaign that you are running. Um, before you negate a keyword, before you pause it, before you move it to match types, lower your bid. You know, we have some keywords we run that, you know, maybe get 70 to 80 clicks and only one order and they're still profitable because they have the appropriate bid based off our conversion rate and our price point. So. Biggest thing I would look at is making sure you have a bid optimization in place and that you understand it. And then, like I said, once you get to those six to seven, seven to eight clicks, lower your bid a little bit more or analyze your conversion. So then if you have seven or eight clicks, but no sales or, or, or what, what is the click you know, amount that you, that you look for where he's like, you know what, this is probably a money pit keyword. Like you just said, it's not just based on the number of clicks because you could technically go 70 clicks and then finally get your first sale. And then all, you know, your ACOS is, is still pretty, pretty low. So is it a mixture of both? Like to me, it's almost like, wait a minute, if I got 70 clicks, like, Hey, so, so something's wrong. Like, like, like why, like something, somehow they're, they're interested in my product, but they're like, I, either it's not what they thought it was, you know, like maybe this keyword that they, that, you know, it just doesn't resonate with them when they actually see my listing or it's the price or something. But, but what's your thought process there? If I was a new seller in this type of scenario, I would probably wait until, you know, that seven to eight clicks lower my bid. And then once I get to like 20 clicks and no order, I would lower it close to, you know, 15 to 20 cents. So that way we're just lightly collecting data in the background, not serving a ton of impressions, not hemorrhaging money, but still able to collect that data and see if it's potentially driving an order. Um, there's no harm in putting a 10 to 15 cent bid because one, it probably does a similar job to pausing in that it's so cheap that you're not really that competitive. So you're not going to get served a ton of impressions and clicks. But if you do get clicks from it, it's going to be so cheap that it's going to be profitable. 
that's really how we drive scale for bigger brands as well. So again, biggest thing, look at that bid management. And if you need to, maybe the keyword isn't extremely relevant. You know, maybe you're bidding on short socks, but you t sell tall socks. You can still drive conversions based off that, but just lower your bid based off that kind of understanding of relevancy. Okay. That's good to know. Now, you know, one question I have about, about this, the strategy kind of like along the lines that you're talking about, you know, you, we have exact campaigns and, and we've got, you know, auto campaigns. Now, if somebody does the, the project X, you know, that, that, that Tim Jordan came up with, as far as like doing a PPC test listing, you might have some initial data on what your launch cost per click might be. And a lot of times, of course, it's completely different than what Amazon suggests. However, you can kind of set those and you have a good idea, but What's a good rule of thumb for how somebody should set the the bid for their initial automatic campaign? Like, you know, do I just do it at 25 cents? Do I do it at a dollar? Do I do it at $2? How, how do you judge what to do there? Because I mean, Amazon can show you for anything. Yeah, I think that's a great call out. Um, I think where it really makes a difference is when you look at the four different types of auto campaigns we now have. So we have close match, loose match, substitutes, and complements. And with those, you can kind of read the guidelines of where they're showing. For close match, we can recommend running a slightly higher bid because we know it's going to be extremely relevant and much closer. So it's probably a higher chance of converting. Um, I usually recommend going close to what the suggested bid is. I don't like making decisions if I don't have the data for it. So if I can kind of see what my CPCs are now, I would just roll it over to my auto campaign and then separate that out across the match types. You know, if we're running a substitutes or a compliments, maybe we want a little bit lower a bid because we know it's not going to be quite as clean of targeting as close match, things like that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's, for, for me, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm somewhat of a, PPC newbie because I only started working on it when we came out with our ads tool like was it eight months ago. But that to me was eye opening that what you just mentioned about the close match and, and compliments and substitutes and, and and I've really been able to hone in my auto campaigns based on this. But for those who are brand new and maybe don't know what those are, can you explain like what each of those things are and like what it refers to? Yeah, 100%. So it's really similar to how broad phrase and exact works. It's just a more incremental type of targeting. So when you go to launch an auto campaign now, it's being separated out into those four different targeting types. Close and loose match are now being populated within the search results, I believe. And then you have compliments and substitutes are being populated on the product detail page, which all that means is one of them is going to give you data for search terms, close and loose match. And then compliments and substitutes is going to give you data for ASINs because it's showing up on the product detail page and under sponsored products related to this item. Now, as a quick tip, what you can do is you can launch four campaigns with one auto targeting type on per campaign. So one auto campaign for close, one for loose, one for substitutes, and one for compliments. What this is going to allow you to do is scale as your campaign scale. So for example, your close match is probably going to convert the best. So if you have it in its own campaign and you increase the budget, you know your close match is going to get you know a higher percentage of your budget versus if you have all four targeting types turned on within one campaign, when you increase the budget, you can't exactly control directly where that budget goes. Amazon's going to distribute it to wherever it thinks it should be distributed to. So we have started running you know four different auto campaigns in order to do a better job of microanalyzing the data and the results and being able to scale it a little bit more efficiently. That is interesting. That's something I never, I never heard about. So it's like you open up four different auto campaigns and then you just, you, you only have on 
the one type of, of targeting and gives you better control because yeah, I mean, in my experience, usually like only one or two, for whatever reason, you know, types, targeting types are ever get traction. The other one, like no matter how high the bid is, it just for whatever reason, Amazon chooses not to show you. So that's, that's an interesting tactic there. Now, I ask this to a lot of people who do PPC because, you know, everybody has their own opinion on it. But, you know, let, let's say you're converting for something in a broad campaign or an auto campaign. So obviously you want to move it or you want to add it to your manual campaign. But, you know, some people say, you know what, I'm going to negative match it in the broad or in the auto so I can focus on it in my manual. Or some people say, hey, you know, sometimes Amazon just refuses to show you in the manual campaign. They only like to show you an auto. So you should still keep it open in the other campaign. What's what's your personal opinion on that? Yeah, I 100% agree with the philosophy of keeping it in both um, for a few reasons. One, you can never replicate what made a certain keyword successful. So when people try to move it and then they don't understand why it works, you got to realize that a keyword could be successful in the auto campaign because it's showing up in a different placement that it's going to be showing up in broad phrase or exact in your manual campaign. So if it's not broke, we don't need to fix it. We know it's doing well there, so we can continue to run it there knowing that it's not going to compete. Another reason is for sponsored products, which is where auto campaigns are ran, we have, you know, what, 10 to 15 different placements we can populate on page one. So we know we're not going to be competing for the same ad inventory like is more likely to happen with sponsored brands. So we always recommend running in all match types and we do not negate from an auto to a manual because there's a high possibility that maybe you're doing extremely well in your auto campaign because you're showing up on the product detail page, or maybe you're showing up on page two in the auto campaign. And then when you relaunch it in a manual campaign, maybe you can be been more aggressive and show up on top of search. So it's high possibility it's two completely different placements you're collecting data on, which is why it doesn't perform as well, or maybe it performs better. I like it. I like it. That's, that's awesome. Now here, here's one you know question I have for you, and this is my opinion on it, but it, it seems to be backed by, by facts. And I've talked to people at Amazon before, but one thing people never understood was like, they'll say, oh no, Helium 10 search volume is wrong because it says it's 300, but Hey, on this keyword alone, I, I got like 900 impressions uh, in a month. So obviously how could the monthly search volume be 300? And, you know, for my talks to Amazon is that that's not the way impressions are, are counted. You know, it, it's not like somebody searched for it and then there was an ad that showed up. That's, that's the impression, but you know, you click on, you, you search for coffin shelf and your sponsored ad for coffin shelf shows up. There's impression one. Now you click on one of the coffin shelves on that page. And now the product targeting, you know, shows up at the bottom. That's another impression that came from that initial search. They click back on their browser, back to the search. There's another one that comes, Hey, there's another impression. They go into the, and so on and so forth. So like for what would be considered like one search volume, an actual search, there could be five, six, seven, eight, nine impressions by the end of the day. Do you agree with that assessment or what, what have you heard? Yeah, that's what I would assume as well. I actually haven't dove in too deeply on that topic, but um, I know that broad and phrase match also kind of trip up a lot of people with the same philosophy mm -hmm. um, that, you know, for example, that coffin shelf, if you're running it in broad and phrase match, you're also showing up for 98 different search terms, which is really going to influence the amount of impressions you have as well. Okay, cool, cool. Now, now one last beginner, I guess, question, and this is something that I don't even remember doing, but I think Vince did it when, when he was in the Project X account, but, but with his exact product targeting campaign, he targeted the actual ASIN. Now, I'm not saying like an ASIN that is also on the account, like the, the campaign was for the coffin shelf, this ASIN, and he targeted our own ASIN, 
and it was getting like tons of sales. Now, when somebody goes onto the, the coffin shelf listing, it's not like our own product is showing up in the product targeting ads at the bottom or sponsored products related to. So I'm just wondering, what is Amazon showing you for when you're targeting your own ASIN and getting conversions for it? Like, where do those conversions come from? Yeah, we run the same strategy, but we typically see it show up under the buy box. So, um, or under the buy box or under sponsored products related to this item, depending on what type of product targeting it is. So you've actually seen unsponsored products related to the item, the actual item, the same exact item of the page that you're on, it'll show up down there too? We've seen it if it's in variations, but I'm not 100% sure if it's the exact same ASIN. I've never actually seen that. Yeah. See, I, so good. I, I'm not the only one who, who's perplexed about this, but as, when I was looking at the metrics, I'm like, what in the world? I was like, where are these impressions coming from? Because I have never seen it show up down there. So like my opinion was, and this will be good. Now, now you can go and test this too and, and our listeners too. But my opinion was maybe like if somebody clicks on, you know, somewhere outside of that product after visiting a product page that now Amazon is following them around Amazon with my ad. And maybe that's what it's coming from. But that, that just was like one of the most mind boggling things of the last couple of months to me. So I'm going to have to ask Vince about that too. And, and you come back with me with some information on that too, because that, that could be golden. I like no, nobody, not many people teach like, Hey, target your own ASIN and product targeting. It's not something you hear from, but Hey, that could be a good strategy. Yeah. hundred percent. I would really have to dive into the data because we upload the full list of, you know, every single other product we have to make sure we're targeting. So I know that we are running it, but our product targeting has 10 other ASINs we're also targeting. So I'm not sure how easily exactly. we have that data. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Let's switch gears to now some more advanced things that people who have been selling on Amazon. Maybe they've got some brand registry going on and, and you know, they, they know what complements and substitutes are. They, they want some, some more meat and potatoes here. Let's talk about like video in search. Like how does that work and how have you seen people use that successfully? So video in search is absolutely incredible. It has been beta rolled out since October. So we've had the opportunity to drive quite a bit from it. I think we have driven around $400,000 in additional sales across accounts. What's really unique about it is although it's under sponsored brands, it's much less of a branded play in that it's only driving to a single ASIN landing page as of right now. So what I always recommend is when you're creating your video creatives, try to make it product specific because that's really what it's driving to. And um, sometimes consumers don't know to click on store pages to see your other line. So that's kind of one strategy is make it singular product specific as of right now. Two, we've seen them. Can, can you talk really before going into that though? Like, can you just uh, like me personally, I honestly don't, I'm not even sure. Like, I think I know what it is, but I'm not completely sure. So like, when we're talking about video and searcher, I think it's also called sponsored video, if I'm not mistaken. What, what does that even mean? Like, wh wh where are customers seeing this? Yeah, so it's truly a video that's showing up within search. So if you've scrolled on a desktop, it's typically showing up under editorial recommendations or in the middle of the page. It shows on the left-hand side a video that auto-plays. The volume does not auto-play. And then on the right-hand side, it's kind of a quick screenshot of the listing. It's, you know, the number one main image of the product. And if you're on mobile, it typically shows up bottom of search. I believe it's now also been moved up to middle of search on mobile. And yeah, they do absolutely incredible. It's very similar to what a commercial format is. Um, I believe the time frame is under 45 seconds, but that could be incorrect. Okay. So does it work like sponsored brands and sponsored products where you're targeting 
search terms and targeting actual ASINs or how, how does targeting work on that? It does. It is very similar to sponsor products and sponsor brands keyword targeting in that you can upload a list of keywords and target by broad phrase and exact. Cool. All right. Now let's go back into your, your main two points of strategy you were talking about. Now that I think we're all on the same page, we understand what this is. But so then how, how, how were you saying is best way to leverage this? Yeah. So the videos autoplay, um, it's again, it drives to a single landing page. So unlike a sponsored brand headline ad where it drives to a landing page with three to four different ASINs or maybe drives to a store page, it populates similar to a sponsored product ad in that if they click on the video, it's going to drive them just to that ASIN. So we've seen, you know, product specific videos do a little bit better. Um, the volume does not autoplay. So we've seen that that's not necessarily a necessity to make a high converting. And then again, at its core, it's still just keyword targeting and bid management. So for one video, one ASIN will run, you know, five to six different campaigns. One of the campaigns focusing on all of the major keywords we want to target, understanding that we're going to have to bid higher and have a higher ACOS. We'll run another campaign, maybe um, bidding on all of our competitor keywords, same philosophy. And then we're going to dive into a lot of the keyword research, you know, that we pull from all the different tools, long tail keywords, things like that, and make sure we're targeting them as well. Okay. So what are some like success stories? I mean, obviously you don't have to give people's account names or what their products was, but give me some like OMG stats about like some crazy campaign that was run that will get people excited about using this? <laughs> uh, in general, every single campaign that's pretty much been ran with video and search is doing incredible. Um, like I said, you know, we've driven over $300,000 in additional sales and every single one of those has CPCs like lower than a dollar, which means that's still low competition, really high ACOS. I mean, we're running at a sub 30% ACOS and we are being ridiculously competitive. Like, you know, we have a brand that sells facial products, we're bidding on keywords like beauty, things like that, that are expensive, top of the funnel. We're competing against some of the big name players out there. I mean, we have a baby product and we're able to bid on like Playtex Baby or Diaper Genie, things like that. And we're still able to convert um, just because it's, you know, not as competitive yet. A lot of the big name players aren't necessarily rolling out video across all of their products. So we have a lot of opportunity to get in there, get early and start collecting data and indexing. Wow. That, that's pretty cool. Now I, I'm not even sure if the project X account has that available to it, but if it does, maybe you could help us make uh, the first one and we can make a video about the coffin shelf. But that brings me to my next question is like, do you always suggest going to outside co professional companies to make video for this or, or can you do it by yourself or do you use animation or what do you use? Yeah, this has came up quite a bit across the groups, you know, Seven, eight months ago in October, I think when this was first rolled out, we were doing anything and everything to get a video up. We were using, you know, external videography that people had from Facebook or Instagram and making sure it was running. We were having people record in-house videos that, you know, weren't fantastic quality and they were still performing extremely well because it was low competition. Now, of course, as the competition increases, we're going to need better quality videos. But again, it's one product. It's product specific for now. So take your top one ASIN, your top two ASINs, and maybe find a videographer. Or if you can't, I know there's certain software and tools out there that are integrating video processes and videography into their tools. So you can do that. Or from what I've um, read in some of the groups, you can always open up a, like a Google Slides or something like that and create a walkthrough. And you can actually do a type of screen recording and download it in the correct audio file and get it up and running. So 
As of right now, you can still do that and see pretty strong results. As it gets more competitive, you're probably gonna need to create a video, but in general, impressions are increasing and it's getting more and more exposure. I'm gonna run off the assumption that we're gonna have the ability to drive to store pages, possibly drive you know, off platform. So now's the time to get it going so that way you're ready for when it is more scalable. Cool, cool. All right, now a question that can be for beginners or advanced people. So let's say somebody's making their first product, somebody's making their 50th product. Do you have like a tried and true method in general? Obviously every every you know case is different, but of how someone can launch just with PPC. You know, be, some people, you know, try and teach, oh no, you have to do giveaways like back in the day to, to launch it. Yeah, you, you could do giveaways or promotional things or search find buy or or many chat or all these launch strategies. But I think probably the most popular or the most used strategy is just PPC. So if somebody you, you have a client that comes to you and says, Hey, I'm launching let's just stick with it, uh, a coffin shelf. And I'm not going to do social media marketing on this. Uh, I'm not going to do many chat. I'm not going to do a discounted promotion. I just want to be able to get to page one for, for my keywords using PPC. What is your general strategy on how you can accomplish that? <laughs> this is, this is a hot topic, Bradley. We, we could be mm -hmm. getting into a lot of discussions here. <laughs> um, at its core, we recommend bidding on the keywords that you need to be converting on. So as everyone knows, in order to affect your organic ranking, you just need to convert on the correct keywords. So where that goes in terms of strategy, we have seen so many different results depending on the category. Um, I, I don't even like giving any definitive solutions for this because it's so dependent on what else you're doing and how much you have to spend. So if you're a smaller brand trying to launch, I don't recommend bidding on coffin shelf if it's going to be highly competitive and you're not going to be able to afford it. Because what's going to happen is you're going to, you know, maybe drive 10 to 20 clicks and it's going to be too expensive. It's going to be like $100 down the drain and you're going to pause it. So you're not actually going to give the algorithm a chance to see how well you're converting for it because you don't have the data. So if you're a smaller brand, we typically recommend, you know, finding those 10 to 15 keywords that we really think we have a high chance of profitably converting on and going in all in on those keywords to get us to the top of the search, top of the page, things like that. We do recommend increasing bids by top of search um, because we're just, that's where we know we're going to collect the most data up front. Now for a bigger brand and we can afford those really expensive keywords to absolutely dominate, we're going to do the same thing, exact match 10 to 15 keywords and just go all in on them. Now, Always recommend your backend is in a fantastic place because if your listing's not even indexing, you're going to make the job of PPC 90 times more complex because Amazon's then going to have no data. If you're not indexing on the backend and your listing's not perfectly optimized, it's going to be very hard for you to get the data on the PPC side of things. But in general, I mean, the core philosophy of it, you want to drive as many consumers as possible to your top keywords and you want them to convert in order to win. And I think that's the easiest strategy in terms of longevity, because we all know how, like how crazy the landscapes change in terms of ranking and launches used to be, you could give away a ton of product at a super high discount. You can get to top of search. And then nowadays it's kind of the, let's get it added to cart. And then there's mini chat. There's so many other things. Well, that's constantly going to change at its core at the foundation. You just need people to convert in your top keywords. PPC is the easiest one-to-one -one solution for that. All right, cool, cool. That's that's good to know. Now, another question I had is 
has Vince ever gotten you to to test out our ads platform or do you have any experience at all in that? I have not. I have done some research and dove into a lot of the ad solutions out there, but I've never tested it out. All right. Uh, I got to get with Vince to see why he's holding back. We got we to get you started on that so that you could uh, <laughs> uh, help coach people uh, on that too. And then last question, say, you know, we've been talking about on Amazon, you know, sponsored ads, but what are some off Amazon advertising you think that people, people should do regardless of what level they're at? So something I have seen recently perform really well, and this may even be kind of highly skewed organically, is TikTok. Um, I've personally been skewing and seen actual products I sell on TikTok be going viral. And I've sent a message out to my brands and be like, hey, did you happen to, are you running a TikTok ad? Did you work with this influencer? And they had no idea. So I think the virability of TikTok makes for a great organic advertising platform, especially if you kind of reach out to the right influencers. Um, there's a high potential for reaching a really fantastic audience. Um, email lists are really big. That's another one that has a much longer you know, half-life than some of the other Facebook and Instagram um, targeting options out there. Because if you have a strong list of relevant consumers who are really familiar with your brand, that brand loyalty will go a long way and that will make your launches and everything else 90 times easier. So those are the two that I've, one's really shiny and interesting TikTok and one is more longevity and just fantastic, which would be your email list. That's great. That's great. Now I'll, I'll never forget, you know, somebody in your network had sent you a, a screenshot. And I think it's just classic to talk about, about outside advertising that, you know, don't overlook anything because you had showed me the screenshot that somebody sent to you of, of Tim Jordan and Bradley on, on Tinder, but it wasn't, we don't have Tinder accounts. What it was is I guess helium 10 was running an ad uh, on Tinder, but, but you never know, like, like, Hey, obviously whatever algorithm, you know, somebody in the Amazon space. So they, they knew how to target them. So don't, don't discount any outside advertising, like whether it's TikTok or, or Tinder or whatever website, you know, you can find potential customers for your product. Now, Let's go ahead and get into your 30-second tip. We call this the TST. You've been giving us nonstop strategies throughout this whole episode. Probably, if I counted, you might have given us the most unique strategies that, that we've had in a few episodes here. I love the, the way your rapid fire is able to, you know, to handle this. But what is one last thing that you haven't mentioned that you can say in like 30 seconds or less for it? doesn't matter. It can be targeted towards advanced, can be beginners, whatever you want. Yeah, uh, sponsored display ads. So they're pretty much the new shiny object syndrome, but they've actually been rolled out in accounts from AMS since 2017. So we have a ton of data on these and they do incredible. Make sure you are running them, whether you're a small seller or a big seller, you can get extremely incremental on the other products that you are targeting, but they're one of the most profitable ad types we ran. And for one brand alone, we saw over a million dollars in sales driven in December. So we can dive into all of that strategy another time, um, but make sure you are running sponsored display product targeting ads. They are amazing. Love it. I love it. All right. Well, Destiny, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of our PPC talk. We, we try and, you know, we, we do different things sometimes where it's like the a same theme show. And like actually nowadays, PPC is one of the hottest topics out there because I, I think it's one of the things that people most struggle on. And so that's why we're, we've, we've kind of tried to dedicate ourselves to every six or eight weeks or so to have a, a PPC expert, you know, talk about it. So thank you for being that expert this week. And if people want to, you know, reach out to you because they have 
more questions or, or want to see about, you know, possibly you helping them with their, with their PPC, how can they uh, find you on the interwebs? Yeah. So definitely go to betterams.com if you want to find more out about, you know, our company and our team. And if you ever just want to reach out and follow me, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and I try to pretty consistently post really valuable content. We have some engaging discussions and that's probably the easiest way to just follow along. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Destiny. And we'll definitely have you back on the show in the future. Amazing. Thank you so much, Bradley.